An historian could argue that the abdication of the Tsar in 1917 was one of the most important key factors leading to Russia becoming the world's first communist nation. This event is primarily due to the February Revolution, however, was overall caused by a multitude of happenings leading up to that event. The Russian Revolution was a result of a long era of unrest. Since Peter I, the Tsardom increasingly became an autocratic bureaucracy. In addition to this, the loss of the Russo-Japanese War, consequences of the First World War, as well as major-scale riots and the formation of the Duma in 1905, as well as the revolutionary riots in 1917, made change almost unpreventable. Even with the increasing pace of the events weighing the country down, it was the First World War that doomed Russia. Today, 1917 is a year recognisable for being the time of the Great War that New Zealand waded into in order to aid the Allies, as well as the time when Germany began unrestricted submarine warfare. In contrast to this, 1917 was the year that Russia became to realise that militarily it was no longer a match for Central European countries. Despite the majority of people initially approving of aiding the war effort, losses to Germany due to a mixture of poor military tactics, lack of training and lack of equipment soon changed the civilian perspective on the Russian war interaction. Defeats such as that of the Battle of Tannenberg in August 1914, where a total of 78,000 Russians were killed or injured, caused a lack of morale both on the home front and front line. To make matters worse, railways were too busy supplying troops and weapons to battlefields out of Russia to keep up with demands for food in highly populated urban areas. In accumulation, the 50 million men conscripted from farms and railways aided in causing a food shortage by 1917. Food rations were small. Prices rose. Winter was cold and unkind. Russian civilians were hungry and wanted their loved ones to return from war. Naturally, when things become restless, it is human nature to place blame, and unfortunately for Tsar Nicholas II, his decisions made him a primary target. He himself had witnessed revolutionary terrorists assassinate both his father and grandfather. He realised his vulnerability and the people's growing dislike for the monarchy. Due to this, he used what historians have described as severe methods in order to combat resistance movements, aiding in the increasing unrest. Although, what an historian could claim to be the most significant decision Tsar Nicholas II made, and possibly the worst for his monarchy, was in 1915, when he took personal command of the Russian army. At this time, he believed it would uplift and inspire troops after the humiliating defeats they had endured. However, what he possibly did not consider was the fact that his lack of military experience and knowledge would result in further losses as command and organisation of the Russian army was in no way improved. This, what this decision did allow, though, was civilian blame for Russian troubles to be increasingly directed at the Tsar, who was by then seen as having personal responsibility for military catastrophe. The First World War also triggered inflation, industry crisis, 
and riots which were dismissed by the Tsar as being a part of a hooligan movement he predicted would be short-lived. In reflection, we now see that his prediction was completely misjudging the situation. On the 23rd of February, 1917, protests erupted. It was International Women's Day and approximately 90,000 women took to the streets of Petrograd calling for peace and bread. These women were tired and hungry. They were tending to their husbands, fathers and brothers' work while they were at war and wanted to see change. The next day, a further 150,000 men joined the protest and Petrograd came to a grinding halt. Things grew violent and protests evolved to riots which police were unable to control. While the majority of people called for bread or an end to the war, some groups began to voice aspirations for an end to the monarchy. This protest was similar to many which had come before it and throughout the last several decades. What made it revolutionary, however, was the decisions and actions taken that followed. By February 25th, Tsar Nicholas, who had been out of Russia visiting troops since the 22nd, sent a telegram to the head of Petrograd military calling for the riots to be stopped by the next day. This is not only an example of his severe methods against revolutionary ideas, but also shows evidence of how the monarchies had become disconnected with Russian citizens. The military at first attempted to do as the Tsar called for, and in order to end the riots, there were reports of them firing into unarmed crowds. However, the soldiers were more empathetic towards the crowds of rioters than they were to the Tsar, and by the 27th, approximately 80,000 military personnel in Russia mutinied to aid the protest. Looting followed this, and riots continued to grow larger and louder. Despite these actions taking place, nobody in Russia expected radical change. As mentioned, protests similar to this had occurred during the past. For example, the 1905 riots, which caused assassinations and naval mutinies, were as a result Tsar Nicholas II established the Duma, a Russian word referring to a small village council existing in early Russia, and in this case, a state legislator for parliamentary democracy to keep the masses happy. Although the Tsar did what he could to limit their power, and later attempted multiple times to have it disbanded. Furthermore, major revolutionaries at the time were either in exile or hiding, usually in Siberia or Central Europe. What prompted change, despite the February Revolution's similarities with earlier revolts, was the worsening situation with the Tsar and First World War. Another example of the Tsar becoming out of touch was when in January 1917, General Kremov returned from the Eastern Front and met Duma President Michael Rodzianko. He told him how officers and men no longer held faith in the Tsar. He proclaimed that if Duma attempted to take control of the country, they would have the army support. Rodzianko, unsure of what to do, telegraphed the Tsar on the 27th, stating, This situation is getting worse. Something has to be done immediately. Tomorrow is too late. The last hour has struck. The future of the courts and royal family is being decided. Tsar Nicholas, however, 
read it and state it. Again, that fat-bellied Rodzianko has written me a load of nonsense, which I won't even bother to answer. At this time, despite the Tsar's attempt to disband it, the Duma was meeting in secret to discuss Russia's future whilst riots continued to occur. In this way, it was suggested that the Tsar should abdicate in favour of a more inclined family member. Nicholas II, along with his wife, who was left in charge while he visited troops, and Rasputin, a Siberian man with supposed magical properties and influence over the family, were only becoming more and more disliked. The Tsarina, being German herself, was blamed for siding with the Germans as well as her influence on the Duma in assuring that no man with the possibility of becoming stronger than her beloved husband could ever come to power. And so, the day after the telegram was ignored, both Duma members and high command pressured the Tsar to abdicate. What was not expected, however, was that he abdicated in favour of his brother, Grand Duke Michael, instead of his son. It had originally been intended by Duma members that when the Tsar abdicated for his 13-year-old son, they would be able to take control of the country and settle conflictions before he came of age. But Nicholas deemed his haemophilic son to be too sickly to bear the troubles of the Tsar. What was even less expected was when Grand Duke Michael refused becoming the new Tsar, and for the first time since 1947, Russia was without a monarch. In the words of Robert V. Daniels, author of Red October, Bolshevik Revolution 1917, none of Russia's political leaders, conservative or revolutionary, were prepared for the event of the February Revolution of 1917, but were quick to improvise their reactions to it. The well-intended leaders of the Duma, representing the comfortable property owners of Russia, joined the revolution in hope of keeping it in the orderly channel of a constitutional monarchy. What replaced the Tsardom after this event was the provisional government. This was built up of bankers, lawyers, capitalists, industrialists and overall Duma members. It was led by Prime Minister Alexander Kerensky, who had been a long-standing Duma member. Politics initially became a competition between the Petrograd Soviet and the Provisional Government. So the monarchy was removed. The Provisional Government began democratic rule, planning to take charge until a more permanent democratic government could be established later, at a more stable date. The political system after the February Revolution was newly established and weak. There were three groups it was divided between. Liberals and both moderate and radical left-wing socialists. The Liberals were represented by the Cadet Party, who dominated the first provisional government, but later came to share it in coalition between May and October that year with the moderate socialists, who were represented by the Menshevik Party, as well as the socialist revolutionaries. The radical left socialists, however, were the Bolshevik Party, who we will later discuss due to their increasing involvement later on in Russia's road to communism. Shortly after the February Revolution, the provisional government abolished the death penalty, granted amnesty to both political prisoners and exiles, granted civil liberties, and began eradicating ethnic and religious discrimination. 
The February Revolution also brought forward industrial revolution full steam ahead. Having barely touched Russia under the Tsarist rule despite reaching the country in 1861, following the emancipation of the serfs under Alexander II's reforms, although this caused economic downfall of mostly affecting peasants. Clearly, the provisional government were no worse than the autocratic bureaucracy they replaced. However, it can be argued that they were little better. What they did not do was improve the issues involving land, food and Russian involvement in the Great War. The provisional government believed that Russia should honour its commitment to the Allies. In contrast to this, many civilians and radical political leaders believed Russia should exit the war before any more devastating losses occurred. In relation to the land issues, they did not distribute land fairly, resulting in peasants taking matters into their own hands and seizing farmland for themselves. One other change that altered politics in Russia, which possibly had the greatest effect on the country in the long term, was the provisional government allowing exiles to return. In April that year, revolutionaries returned to Russia. Those in Central Europe were allowed to pass through Germany in hopes that their political interaction would aid in removing Russia from the war. Vladimir Lenin, a devout follower of Marxism, was one of these revolutionaries. He boarded a train in Zurich, Switzerland, and soon reached Petrograd. Chairs and red flags greeted him. He climbed on top of a vehicle and congratulated Russia on a successful revolution. But the February Revolution was only a part of the beginning. Revolutionary work was still to be completed in Russia, as Lenin denounced the provisional government and fronted tens of thousands in the crowd, before reminding them that Russia was still involved in the war and that the Russian people still needed bread. February had come and passed, transferring the Russian Empire from their traditional monarchy onto the next phase. But democracy would only last eight months. October was on the horizon, and Lenin saw it fit that another revolution was to take place.